Hello and welcome to episode number 258 of the Armin Show podcast. 258 is two times 129. Just did that on the spot. On this episode, we have Shan Rizvi. Welcome to the show. Hi, everyone. Hi, Armin. How are you? Great. I am glad to have you on here. And I don't know if it matters if I put speaker view or gallery view as far as the recording, but I just checked that. Now, as we get into this episode, there's a lot of topics I want to cover. And one main thing I want to present is that we have some similarities. We darn have some similarities, and that's a nice feature. I met you in New York at a gathering that Dr. Azra Razda hosted. She was in episode 247, 249. Okay, look at me being slightly nervous. And why am I doing that? Because sometimes it's good to be nervous. Maybe we can discuss that. Shan, how would you describe yourself to the average individual? What are some things you do or like? What are you about? So I guess first and foremost, I'm a technology entrepreneur. Uh, tech has been something I've just been crazy about since I was very young. Uh, I'm sure nobody that knew me when I was a kid is surprised this is what I'm doing. Uh, but I'm quite interested in science and I would say even broadly just reality. I'm a curious person. So, so yeah, uh, curious technology entrepreneur. I guess that's who I am. As far as the, I like the curious part. We'll go into that. The technology entrepreneur part. How has that manifested? Where have you been an entrepreneur? So, uh, so I run a marketing automation startup called Just Ads, and we're making it easy for advertisers to start promoting their products on Facebook, Google, all these other uh, ad networks. So uh, that's a startup that I'm working with uh, at the moment and enjoying it uh, quite a lot. But I've been working remotely for five years now, and our teams are uh, operating remotely. Our engineers are remote. So it's been quite surreal for me the past couple of weeks where everyone's having to uh, work remotely and deal with a greater degree of social distancing than uh, what they're used to. But I've kind of been doing it for a while uh, for just ads. As far as remote work, that makes sense. You probably already had remote workers prior to this. Does it change that much or is it exactly the same with many of them? So it's a little different. I've always been working remotely, uh, but for the company, uh, we have an engineering office in Lahore. So all the engineers that we have there, they, of course, you know, work from the office. Now each individual, one of them is also working remotely. So my personal routine hasn't changed so much, but the company's routine, of course, has changed uh, quite a bit. So I've just been trying to make sure that uh, everyone's able to work efficiently from home while still being empathetic with them. I'm trying to keep in mind these days that uh, this isn't like a normal work from home circumstance, you know, people are quite nervous and stressed. So, so yeah, just trying to help everyone in our company work remotely while still having a certain degree of empathy for uh, the fact that it poses some challenges in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Now, this is not a normal time. You are correct in that in multiple ways, but one of them is the most affected region of the United States in regards to this. Where are you located currently? I'm in New York. So yeah, we're really at the, at the, <laughs> at the heart of it all. Yeah. Uh, do you still feel it very heavily? How much is it like you can taste it in the air right now? It's pretty, you can sense it. Uh, I went to the park yesterday and it was a lot more crowded than I would have liked it to be, to be honest. Uh, people weren't really keeping that uh, three feet, three meter, whatever distance uh, you're supposed to keep. And there was a lot of people that looked like a normal Saturday. Uh, but at the same time, there's still a certain, um, outside parks at least, uh, there's a certain just, fear in the environment that I feel. I guess it, it has to do with small things like just, you know, all the shops being closed, not as many people being on the streets. Uh, but even small things like I was walking to the park and I crossed this couple and I was just walking a bit fast, just walking past them. 
And when I was passing by this woman, she was really afraid that I might have like touched her hand by mistake or something. So she just, you know, pulled her hand and I was like, I didn't do anything. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, you can, you know, it's uh, those subtle uh, changes in people's behavior, everyone wearing masks. So yeah, it's pretty, um, it's pretty surreal. But I think that a lot of people don't fully understand what this is and how long this is going to last. It's very confusing. Uh, for most people that I've spoken to. Mm -hmm. This pandemic is widespread. Now, more specifically in regards to that, you know somebody who I also had met when I had met you at the same time, who is Mariam. Mariam has some experience with this current moment. Can you tell us how you know Mariam and yeah, exactly. her, so Mariam's her my at this moment? Mariam is my wife, and she's really uh, the hero in this crisis. Um, she's a resident in internal medicine at the Maimonides Medical Center, and she's at the front lines dealing with COVID patients. And yeah, like she's been working uh, really long hours. And I can, I've been sensing, of course, in her that her, the nature of her day has changed quite a lot. Uh, and we've been talking about how, uh, we were just talking about that last night, actually, about how just the day itself has changed. Uh, we were discussing this example about how every time somebody's in a critical condition, uh, there's like an announcement on the speakers that is uh, broadcasted across the hospital, cafeteria, everywhere, all the buildings. And that normally, you know, would happen once every few days or maybe once a day in the worst of uh, situations. Mm -hmm. Now that's happening several times a day. Uh, they're dealing with a much larger number of patients with a lot fewer nurses per patient, uh, for example, or other patients per nurse. And it's it's been difficult, you know, it's it's been uh, for her. I mean, I've just been trying to, uh, I've been trying to figure out what I can do to support her uh spending just you know an hour with her uh on the day every day on the days that she's working and so is yeah that, it's uh it's that quality time yeah. well uh we spend quality time when she gets a couple days off so for example she's on a four days on four days off routine right now oh. during those uh sorry four days on three days off uh, on the four days that she is working, we don't really, I mean, spend, yeah. get to spend a lot of time. She's just, you know, she leaves at six in the morning. She comes back at like 10 p.m. And I can sense the degree of emotional exhaustion uh, in her. She isn't able to do very much, you know. Uh, I just, yeah, she has dinner and pretty much just goes to bed. Uh, but during the three days that she's off, we try to, you know, unwind a bit, uh, watch a few movies and uh, just yeah, sleep a lot and just recover. Makes sense. Mariam is a powerhouse. And yeah. now, so that makes sense. There's a lot going on. Swift changes across different parts of the world. And every part of the world is responding differently based on how their government or people are. It's nice to... this. The one nice feature is this sort of illuminates all the dynamics that were in place for the last three months, five months, a year, two years, but they weren't showing up because there was a lot of, there was no test, if you will. And until there's a test, you don't really get things illuminated. Now, separate from that, which is the wonderful pandemic, do you, that's a topic I think about sometimes, do you have value to punctuated equilibrium like little moments of challenge every few months or years? Oh, for sure. I think, I mean, I don't know how to describe it, but I think it's quite essential uh, because challenges are all around. If you've spent too much time without encountering them, then something's wrong in your approach. Uh, I think, <laughs> I hope that doesn't sound too... Uh, like, I don't know, pretentious or arrogant or something like that. But uh, 
but yeah, I, I think there's a lot of value in that. I personally have, I, I feel like I've grown a lot mature over the last 10 years and it, every single one of those improvements in personality or new things that I've learned or new, I guess, personality milestones or uh, big moments, like well, big moments of transformation, I guess I'd say every single one that I've had in my life has uh, resulted from some kind of challenge. Um, so yeah, it's quite, I think there's a lot of value in that. Yeah. Moments of growth, if you will, I highly value them. Now in this episode, I want to include a lot of uh, specific tangible things. I don't do that as often. I'm usually more broad based, but so for example, before the episode, maybe a slight bit of nervousness, for the episode this is a common thing people do this before a speech before content before anything that's different from their usual day where do you believe that nervousness stems from is it necessary um that's a good question actually mm -hmm. i'm not sure whether it's necessary it might be inevitable or it might be something that is just a a trait uh that appears in human behavior uh and we can't really control it. Mm -hmm. um, I see it as a signal, though, or indicator. Um, so, like, I've been toying with this idea for a few months now. It keeps coming back to me uh, in conversations like these about how there are centers for different things in the brain, right? There's parts of the brain that deal with fear, that, that there's parts of the brain that deal with language and visuals, and it's all obviously interconnected uh, systems. I like to think of the nervous voice as just, you know, um, I don't know, the, the chief worry officer in the organization of my head, you know? So our normal sense of self is the CEO, but then you have all these other domain experts in your brain uh, that are trying to tell you something. And as it does in real organizations, oftentimes their concerns are somewhat exaggerated because they're specialized. Uh, you know, uh, if your CFO comes to talk to you and they see some red numbers uh, in the forecasts, they might come in and be extremely worried about it, but then you might've just had a meeting with the chief uh, supply officer who gave you some insight that explains why uh, there's no reason to worry, even though the numbers are red. So I see it a little bit like that, that you know, there's, there's some voice in your head uh, that is responsible for nervousness, and it is something that is meant to protect you from uh, unforeseen circumstances or uncertainties. So it's, yeah, it's that, that force that, that, that person in your head is doing, uh, their job. It's up to you to, uh, take that feedback and put it into context and say, Hey, you know what? That's good. That's a good thing you pointed out, but here's other information that you aren't seeing. <laughs> and that's why we are going to decide to do this, uh, relax. You know, the numbers are going to be read for another month. Because we, yeah, that's the plan. Uh, we know why it's uh, happening and we have a plan to deal with it. So, see, so yeah, I, I think about it in those uh, terms. It just, it just is. It's like counter forces from within. You have that trying to tell you this is risky. The other side, you're telling yourself there's more to the story in the longer term. Something of that form. Yeah. No real value to just being paused due to nervousness. We still have to move forward. Yeah. Hmm. Like I, I wonder whether this is what you know meditation uh, sometimes taps into, right? Uh, you observe your thoughts and then you label them. And you, I mean, I'm not an expert on the topic by any stretch of the imagination, but as far as I've understood, you're supposed to understand the connection between your thoughts uh, and feelings and memories or other, any kind of sensation that exists in the uh, brain and detaching yourself from it a little bit, saying, hey, you know what? Yeah, like this thought is occurring to me, this feeling is occurring to me. Uh, and yeah, have taking some distance from it and 
looking at it from the outside as much as possible. Do you meditate? Not as much as I should. Like uh, the last few weeks, especially months, actually. Like I meditated quite a bit a year and a half ago uh, when I was, uh, I guess, uh, too stressed for my liking and was finding it a bit difficult to manage. Uh, but now I feel that it's not as necessary to just sit down uh, and meditate. Uh, if you're just sitting around uh, during the day and you're not doing anything, you're just sitting and thinking, uh, I try to turn that into a meditation of sorts because as long as you're paying attention to your breathing, uh, being aware of the process of, you know, uh, process of your being, I guess, oxygen coming in and carbon dioxide going out. If you pay attention to your breathing and pay attention to your thoughts, does it matter if you're sitting uh, and, I don't know, maybe you're playing some game on your computer and then you take a five-minute break where you just, you know, sit down and you sort of check in with yourself and say, all right, how am I feeling? Like, uh, what's happening? Just, yeah. So I, I don't know whether that counts as meditation, actually. But in that sense, I guess I uh, do it. And I started to really enjoy just the process of paying attention to your breath because uh, on and off you get this moment where exactly like you just had now, you know, you just like you just get this very lovely breath uh, sometimes, you know, when you're relaxed enough. Mm-hmm. And that kind of tells you, it's like, holy shit, that was nice. Uh, why don't I breathe like this all the time? Like, uh, and you can't control it fully either. You can't like decide to breathe like that you can't just be like all right i'm just gonna take a really deep breath uh, a deep breath is not necessarily that full relaxing uh breath so see so yeah, i kind of try to I'm, I'm experimenting with this incorporating these kind of practices just in throughout the day rather than uh sitting down uh, but i do want to go back and spend a few weeks uh, doing it in a more disciplined way and then comparing how I feel. Uh, there must be a reason so many people do it with that kind of discipline. Yeah, I think that it is. Uh, could be as good or even slightly better if it's your way to do it when it's not the standard form, but it still feels like you're clearing out your mind. It's still meditation in that way. Yeah. <laughs> it's a healthy thing. There's some healthy things out there. There's health meditation, movement, eating certain foods, simple things. The breathing, it's very nice when you take a good breath. feels fabulous. That's a true thing. Now, to return to, uh, we originally met in a group meeting of sorts, which was fabulous. And Mary was in that group. Mary has been on the show before. And Dr. Raza, she's been on the show before. Now, do you ever have group meetings? Is that your style? Do you like group functions or not? I like them, um, but it has to be, I guess it's the same with everyone. It has to be a certain mix of a crowd that I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, Dr. Raza's uh, evenings, you know, she often does this, she invites a bunch of people. Like I've never been bored there. Like I've never not enjoyed one of those kind of meetings, you know, uh, because there's always, you know, a mix of people who have something in common, but they are still coming from different worlds in terms of their life experience and, you know, and and how they choose what what aspect of life they're exploring. So, so yeah, I think in in those settings where there's uh, yeah, some curious people with, uh, with different perspectives. I like that. Now you say life experience. Let's go back to yourself. Tell us about possible countries you may have been in before and life experience you may have had there. Uh, I've had a uh, I've had a fun journey. So I grew up in Pakistan. Mm-hmm. I moved to Finland when I was eighteen, uh, which was like the best decision that I've ever made, but also the craziest one. 
Um, I moved to Sweden after I lived in Finland for three years. I spent a couple of semesters studying abroad in Spain uh, and Holland. I then settled in Sweden after graduating, uh, lived there for seven years, and I moved to New York about two and a half years ago uh, to be with my wife, Mariam, actually. Uh, she moved here to practice medicine here. And yeah, I moved here so that I could be with her. And these days I feel even more proud of that decision because I'm like, yes, you know, uh, we need doctors. <laughs> they, are the, they are the top echelon of our society right now, along with some scientists, because we can't look to anybody else right now. Yeah. That's kind of uh, And you, yeah. you moved from Sweden with her. Yeah, so we moved here from Sweden, yeah. Now, along the way, what, were, what are some takeaways you got from Finland, Sweden, Spain, Holland? Oh, that's uh, a lot of takeaways. Mm -hmm. uh, hard to describe and express, though. What do you recall because from it was so. Go ahead. It, it was, I think it was such a, total transformation for me that I can't even isolate parts of it. Uh, like everything. I was always curious about religion, for example, and, and post 9-11, uh, it was a bit strange coming from a Muslim family. And I was quite confused because on the one hand, there was, you know, just the perception of people from Pakistan, especially Muslims, uh, was not very positive. It wasn't like the coolest country to be coming from. Uh, at least that's how I perceived it as an 18-year-old. And at the same time, I also wasn't quite satisfied with how, I guess, religious, political, or so all sorts of leaders uh, in the society that I come from, how they approached religion and how they uh, talked about it and thought about it and uh, everything around it. So I found myself in this, you know, uh, strange situation where I had a lot of criticism for how certain religious groups, you know, what kind of ideas they advocated. Uh, but then at the same time, uh, it took me a while to figure out that human beings are just a little uncomfortable around the unfamiliar because I had these rose tinted glasses. So for me, Pakistan was a developing country that had all these problems, you know, corrupt politicians and like radical religious people. And in my eyes, the West, Europe and the US were countries that had solved these problems. You know, uh, you don't always have to smoke shisha, uh, right. <laughs> which is something that my friends in Pakistan and I did quite a lot. You don't have to do the same things. Uh, so that's one thing. Um, even bigger, I would say, is uh, my attitude and views towards the role of women in society and gender roles in particular. Uh, that is another area where I was just completely lost, frankly, coming from mm. uh like a culture and even family that is relatively conservative in terms of gender roles. So that was probably the most valuable thing uh, that I learned studying with, you know, uh, women from different uh, cultural backgrounds and countries and uh, with different personalities and different ambitions. And uh, I mean, I would even say role models because in Finland, for example, they're like, like the the way I saw uh, young women around me take leadership roles in student organizations, I was blown away. I could not have done that at that age. I was like, wow, these like they're running organizations, uh, and it was, yeah, like it was like just just seeing that I think changed me, uh, without even having to necessarily think a lot uh, actively. You just absorbed it from the external that you were seeing. Yeah. Uh, number three. Hmm. Number three would be 
it doesn't have to be something that is a direct result of something studying that, abroad or anything like that sort of yeah uh, like a third thing that you know before you did all of it you were this shan and then after you did all of it maybe you were this shan in in some regard Challenge. i guess awareness of mental health is another big one because oh. that's quite a taboo in uh oh yeah it in Pakistani culture, but I guess it's a bit of a taboo everywhere. And that I think really, uh, both already so far in my life, but I'm quite sure that if I'm answering this question 10 years later, I'll be even more, uh, yeah, mighty, this might even be uh, number one, mm-hmm. because it just, I mean, like it made me interested in philosophy, psychology, it, like just accepting that there is such a thing called mental health just just you know having a healthy mind just accepting that opened me up to so many fields of study that i would not perhaps otherwise have been as curious about you know this is one to transition to that i think about sometimes i think about mental what is described as mental health in the public space, I used to think of as things I would just do or be. I figured out over the years that I have quite good mental health. And so I didn't realize it until I realized, oh, that person has this thing that limits them. They have that person has one by one. Each person is being limited by these things that I didn't have. So I didn't know that's what mental health was. How do you feel about your mental health? And do you like that term? And where do you think it's going in the next 10 years? Oh, I love this question. Um, I, don't like, I don't like the word uh-huh. uh, for various reasons, but I just think that it's too, I feel like mental health uh, in quotes mm-hmm. has become just the domain of uh, psychologists yeah. and psychiatrists, whereas I think it's really uh, it's the domain of religion, the domain of spirituality, the domain of philosophy, the domain of self-awareness. Um, yeah, I think it's it's a lot broader than just you know like an illness. Mental health sounds like <laughs> it's some illness and. It really feels like a forced definition, you know? It's just like we see behaviors that don't make sense to us, so we make some boxes and we say, all right, you know, like this group of outliers that we see is distinguishable in a category, so we'll put this post-it card on them. Uh And like these ones are wearing a red shirt, you know, must be on the same team. Uh, So, you know, like there's, uh, yeah. So I don't like the term. I don't like how we approach it currently. I think we're moving towards a more um, what I hope and think is going to be a more objective approach to it. And I think Neuralink, uh, one of the companies that Elon Musk is associated with, I think something like that is going to be a key part of it because we really don't understand how our minds function. And we just don't know. We, we, we have some concepts that we have that we can use to explain it, but we just, we struggle with it quite a lot. We struggle with communicating anything that has to do with the brain uh, in any field, actually even beyond psychology. Uh, pain, as an example, uh, is a neurological phenomenon as far as I understand. And if a patient comes to you and says, my, I don't know, my hand is really hurting, uh, unless there's a fracture, there's no real objective way to know whether there's, uh, uh, there's pain. Um, so in, when you're dealing with something like that, uh, I think it's very difficult to even just communicate. It's like, what is it that's wrong with you? Uh, if there's anything at all, how do you even like, how how do you know? Uh, I think that once we're able to get a higher resolution uh, image of what happens in the brain, 
I think that will change everything. I mean, it'll increase our understanding of how the brain functions at least 10 times more in the next uh, 10 years. And I foresee a world where uh, some might find it a bit dystopic, and it can be if it's done the wrong way, but I can foresee a world where you'd have some kind of a wearable device that captures a very high resolution image of what's happening in your brain and at like every second, even uh, maybe even a greater uh, temporal resolution, I think it's called like more definition in time. Mm -hmm. uh, and that will allow us to just like answer so many questions. It's like if someone's drawing an amazing piece of art, like what part of the brain is that coming from? What networks are activated? If uh, someone's meditating, what's actually going on in the brain? If someone's uh, uh, if someone says they feel anxious or nervous, what is it actually that's going on in the brain? Uh, and I think all these insights will be packaged into uh, some kind of a self-diagnostic module where maybe imagine you're wearing something like a Google Glass and it just, you know, uh, it, it just always has like a real-time uh, dashboard for your brain and you can maybe customize it. You know, you can say, you know what, I, 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 I tend to go really overboard uh, with my anger maybe. Uh, so maybe you have the anger management module and it just, you know, when you're, uh, when something is happening, when your brain is approaching uh, uh, a state where it might feel a disproportionate degree of anger, it might notify you from beforehand. It might even be able to tell you why you're feeling angry. You know, it might be like, you know what, I know, I know you just saw somebody, you know, like hanging out in a group of five people without any social distancing in the park. I know you've seen it and I know that this is about to trigger you in 20 seconds. So let me give you a notification saying, you know, I don't know, uh, maybe just telling you that it's gonna happen so that you're aware of it. Uh, maybe we even uh, kind of make, maybe we even make enough progress to say, hey, you know, when Armin is angry, and when that anger is due to people not following social distancing in the park, this is the right music to play to him in this situation to uh, calm him down. Um, I mean, we're just playing around, but I think there's a lot of examples like this that you can think of where uh, we'd be able to relate to our minds on a very different level. This is very valid. One thing that came to mind during a lot of your description there is that the way that my mind works, specifically me, I am able to do a reasonable version of that currently. Obviously, I don't have a link to others or a way to transfer it to others, but I've kind of reverse engineered one by one. This caused this, this led to this, this led to this, to a pretty darn specific point. So it fits into what you're describing, and then you could counter one pathway going down this way with some sort of response that brings it back or maybe serotonin up when dopamine down or whatever so i have done a portion of that it'll be a big deal also when you were saying Neuralink, it made me think so we're communicating and how did this link occur if i didn't this is not connected to the Neuralink directly but sort of i wanted to bring it up if i didn't um socialize and create material and then reach out and then meet people and then connect elsewhere. And you didn't move from X country to Y country to Z. To None of this is possible. So uh, a corollary to a neural link is that we are almost doing it without the direct, we'll have a more direct, I was talking to somebody about this yesterday that we'll have one day, just, I have a thought, you'll hear it and you'll have a thought and I'll hear it. And we don't need to do, the extra effort of all this speaking and such. And that'll be a different, it'll be faster. The bandwidth, Elon Musk has talked about the importance of higher bandwidth and like a thumb on a phone is like the lowest bandwidth thing ever for uh, communicating and moving things around. How often do you think about bandwidth? Because I often think about that. 
I, I don't know how often I think about it, but I certainly find it to be a very beautiful idea. It just like, it nails it, right? It nails the problem. Uh, that is what the problem is. There's, you know, we have machines that are very powerful. There's uh, the kind of operations that the brain can do. We can kind of design machines that can carry out the same kind uh, um, uh, of operations, but there's just that gap, right? Like you, uh, yeah. So it's a very beautiful idea. I think it really just like, like it captures it. Uh, and I think it's going to be very, um, I think, I mean, I think it's going to be, it's going to turn out to be a prophetic idea, I think. Mm. Now I want to bring a counter to that. We're talking about things that are in our minds, not that far away in society, quite far away. And to the average person, what are you talking about? So if we bring it to the current day, what do we have? Everybody's. So what about this thing? Everybody is now slowed down for the past month and for upcoming months and are connecting more of the people right around them or their society right around them. How valuable is this versus the reaching out to expand more and more? How valuable is this here and now type of work? So that's a very good uh, question. I think it is important to ask, it's important to wonder whether it's worth it to pursue these kind of innovations, at least given the um, economic systems that we uh, have currently. Uh, if these kind of inventions are possible, uh, do we really need it in the next 10 years? You know, what if we could postpone this, uh, assuming, of course, that we are able to make these kind of decisions as a species, which we are not. Oh. Uh, let's say we were able to postpone it for 40 years. So instead of 2030, you'll have this innovation in 2050 or 2060 or whatever. Uh, but then during that time, you solve uh, problems like poverty, inequality, uh, and other uh, climate change, arguably more existential uh, issues and i would say that if that choice existed right. i would say like it, it, it's a no-brainer yeah. you know uh like i'm happy not having Neuralink in my lifetime if i can see human beings tackle poverty in my lifetime and tackle climate change in my lifetime uh so uh so yeah uh i guess it's also important We're talking about all these ability, all these technologies that can help you um, basically augment the power of your mind exponentially, right? Um, like, how do we do that while making sure that inequality and poverty don't worsen to a point where uh, just social order breaks down? And we're living in times where uh, like the probability of something like that happening is still small, but we, we are getting some kind of a trailer uh, that tells us that our assumptions uh, aren't as strong as we think. We assume that we operate and live under this, you know, economic system in which uh, everyone's interrelated. Uh, and we're already seeing that millions of people are going to lose jobs and, and, and probably feel that they're being abandoned by the system once again. Uh, what if at some point you have people that just start to create alternate societies and um, communities? Uh, have you been watching Westworld? No. I would highly recommend it uh, because they're kind of they're 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 dealing with a lot of these topics in a very uh, in a very beautiful way. Uh, like I'd recommend watching it because that's what they're showing. You know, there's a bunch like uh, there's an algorithm that can basically guide everyone, like tell everyone what's the best thing to do for them. Uh, like. It seems like some, you know, some kind of platonic justice to me. Uh, but there are certain people that the system predicts are not worth it. 
they're just, you know, it's like, yeah, this person's going to kill themselves in 10 years. That's, you know, what the AI is predicting so that they don't get any jobs, they don't get anything. And they use a separate app through which they can coordinate and commit crimes uh, to earn money. I think that that is something that we'll have to keep an eye out, uh, an eye out for. Uh, because technologies like blockchain are probably going to significantly increase the possibility of something like that happening. Like right now, imagine if across the world, 50 million people decide that they will just not use normal currencies. That it's like some, imagine some kind of a blockchain religion, right? They're like, mm -hmm. you know what? These people, like, they just, you know, screw with us. So, We'll work, we'll do our own businesses, you know, the businesses that we set up, they will only accept payments in blockchain. And and if you do any job, if you do any kind of commercial transaction, you do it in blockchain. Basically, 50 million people on planet Earth boycott uh, every other currency. Uh, what happens? Uh, I think we're underestimating the ripple effect that uh, things like that can uh, can happen. You can make it illegal, but then that's going to criminalize it. And yeah, you know, uh, things can start snowballing. This is true. I think about such scenarios a little bit as well. If people team up in some form. Another thing that comes to mind is both of us. How would you describe your regular thought process? Are you more past oriented, current oriented or future oriented? I have a guess on this. You tell me. Huh? I don't know. I, I mean, I think a lot about the future, but I have to admit there's, I mean, there have been a lot of times when I have been stuck in the past too. So I, I don't know. I think I like, it's a little bit of both, maybe like 60, 40 in favor of the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think a little bit similar because some of the things you are saying or that I would say would be, hypotheticals taking into account different variables could be lead to this and this could lead to this. Whereas I think that's not common with the average person who's more thinking right now. And then the corollary to that is, while we sometimes think about hypotheticals for the future, we sometimes uh, take hypotheticals to the past and imagine, well, this, how does it lead to that? No, no, this will lead to that. Lead to that. This one's not positive because we have no real active control of it usually. And then this one tends to be more aspirational and positive because we feel like we're sort of more connected to the outcome. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess it's just like, whether it's the past or the future, it's, uh, I guess the brain trying to construct some kind of image, right? So if it's in the past, it's trying to uh, sort of, I guess, maybe trying to remember something or trying to derive insights from an experience that you might've had or something that you might've read about uh, mm -hmm. that happened in the past. And in the future, you just, I guess, relying on different data, but fundamentally your brain is doing a similar thing. Yeah. It's like, yeah, hmm. imagining. <laughs> the processing we do I noticed that different, I feel like each type of individual has a different percentage of future, present, past that they work with by default, which is, which guides how their day goes. Now, sometimes I like to turn it around near the ending of the episode to, do you have a question for me? Boom, out of nowhere. Mm. Mm -hmm. On the spot. This is the host. So, yeah. <laughs> hmm. Um challenge out here. how when was the last time you hung out with a friend like when you say like hung in person out, oh it was yeah, like have dinner or uh have a drink like yeah just spend some time together basically i have done almost none of that except for one time walking with a friend recently in a park like a distance from each other which is an odd thing to do but yeah aside from that you know there's some insight in this so I seem like a super duper extrovert 
for the past 10 years. If you watched, I was like more out in Los. I've met more people in Los Angeles than any human. I'm taking that one. So, uh, but yeah, I, I realized very quickly and I kind of knew this, it was for the people. I didn't need to do it. So if I took it all away, I'm still good. So it's not really a, extroverts. Usually they need that, but mine was extroverted for the people. So that connects to what you're saying there. So if it all gets cut out, I'm fine. Virtual world or no world or whatever. Still good. That's pretty awesome. Uh, you? That's a pretty, yeah, that's a nice perspective. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a limited amount of that socializing currently. And I think it's having a really harsh impact on a lot of, mostly I think of the younger people. If you're like 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, you, some of the impacts of this, this is like your prime time or some people in their 20s. Uh, late 20s maybe this is sort of their prime time and it's being postponed a couple of years which feels like an eternity maybe for them but i think if you're like older even though the condition affects you more you've had a full life for the most part in that way i want to throw this out here i always like to in bringing things together i want to and we might have shan on the future shan super duper we have a linkage we're more of a back and forth than a like interview in a way, you know, but uh, what is one message you would want the listeners to know currently in April of 2020, something you'd like them to take away uh, a message of insight, maybe something from a message of one of your poems of content creation or articles of content creation. Shan is a content creator like me and has thoughts anything you'd like to tell people if you have a megaphone to all of humanity. Hmm. I would say that it's going to be a difficult time and it's not going to end as soon as we would like. We are almost hardwired to try and fix things or just like try and hope that we'll get some good news. Uh, I have friends who are, you know, looking at these graphs of ICU hospitalizations in New York uh, going down and one of them shared it with me and said, you know, what do you think? And it sounded a bit like, please tell me you think that this is actually, you know, uh, getting better now. It doesn't seem like it's going to uh, get better very soon. It might get better in New York and then get just as bad in uh, California, hopefully not. Um, it's very likely to get a lot worse in developing countries. Mm -hmm. And that's somewhere where it just hasn't reached a certain uh, critical mass yet. So in this environment where this isn't going to end anytime soon and we're locked down, you can't, you know, you cannot distract yourself endlessly. There's only so much Netflix you're going to be able to watch. There's only so much, so many games you can play on the PlayStation. Um, sooner or later, at some point, you will have to realize that you feel afraid uh, because you should because this is something terrible and it will cause without a, without a shadow doubt it will cause like unimaginable uh, suffering uh, for a lot of people and see so yeah, I think I think rather than trying to distract yourself endlessly and hoping it'll go away I'd say Pay attention to your thoughts. If you feel afraid, you probably feel afraid for a good reason. Try to understand why. If you feel sad, there's probably a very good reason for feeling sad because even though you might feel a bit safe in your home, uh, deep down, whether you accept it or not, uh, there's a lot of fellow humans who are like going to feel a lot of real pain. Uh, so instead of being distracted, uh, pay attention to your feelings of fear and sadness and, and frustration and try to, um, try to 
try to introspect on it till you get to a point where you can feel uh, compassion towards those other people who will be suffering rather than thinking about yourself, you know? Sure, there's a certain chance that you might die, uh, that I might die, that you might die. We all face that risk. That risk is not our individual risk. That risk is for us as a species. It applies to everyone. Uh, so there's no point thinking too much about that, that, that risk. Uh, if we focus on how it's going to affect uh, the entire species, that might lead to a lot of good things that might make us feel more compassionate when we think about the millions of people who are going to suffer uh, terribly. Uh, it might inspire us to think about trying to do something, find some way, uh, whatever it is, find, finding some way to ease the collective suffering that, that humanity is uh, facing. And as a lot of wise people have said, um, often when you feel bad, you gain a lot of pleasure from helping others as counterintuitive as that sounds. You might wanna feel like you should take care of yourself, but uh, uh, as you were saying earlier, you know, uh, sometimes just doing things for other people uh, can make you feel good. And I have to admit, I am horrible at this. I need to get better at this. So, you know, like this isn't like a preachy message. I suck at this. <laughs> like I feel terrible about, you know, whatever is going on in my head. Uh, and I, it took me a while to even just believe this. It's true. It does happen. Uh, like you feel better if you involve yourself in acts of compassion. And we're not good with these kind of counterintuitive truths. So we have to put in effort into understanding them, but, there's never been a better time to put that effort, I think. Mm. You know, it's kind of funny. I have to add in this little element because we are more, both of us are somewhat more broad in communication. I don't know if we ever mentioned during this whole episode, but we were talking about the pandemic due to a virus. I don't know if we actually specifically said that. We're I think talking. everyone knows this by now. I mean, yeah. this is, you know. But it's kind of funny because <laughs> I know some people that would have mentioned those key f words or phrases like 80 times, but we're talking about it more from a, broader context but i thought i'd bring that in it there was currently a virus spreading through the earth yeah i think i think <laughs> i think this is going to be remembered as just you know that disaster that big disaster in the early 21st century right uh hopefully there's not going to be a bigger one so right fingers crossed let's keep our nukes safe <laughs> that's, a, that's a valid point that's a great message i like that message yes what you put out sometimes can counter what you feel on the inside. Shan, I would like to thank you for having been on this episode number. Thank you for having me. 258 yeah. of the Armin Show. Podcast.